Uh, Today's reading will be taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, from the New International Version. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, uh, Jesus' blessed words uh, shortly after the Beatitudes, he continues on talking about the salt and the light. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we are currently on our third and final portion of our current sermon series called The Church, God's Kingdom. As you will remember, we've divided our, this sermon series into three, January, February, and March. Okay, so in January, what we talked about was the first aspect of the kingdom that is really foundational in our faith. We talked about our identity as Christians. So that's what we did in February. Four lessons right there. We talked about who we are as God's family and who we are as the body of Christ. Last month in February, we talked about the invitation of Jesus to come to the church, to come to the kingdom. I know it was weird, but Jesus told us about the good things and the bad things, full disclosure, when he said, come to my kingdom. When he told people that, he uh, told us that narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there's some false teaching in there. And it's not going to be, it's going to be difficult in a way. But he concludes by saying, trust me instead. Trust my words. Be that individual that built his house on a rock. And then we will be referred to as wise. That's what we talked about last week. Now, for the month of March, we are going into a different aspect of the kingdom that's also extremely important for us to really be reminded of. We are going to talk about our influence and our impact in the world as the people of God. And this morning, we're going to start us off for this month by talking about being salt and light Christians. Salt and light Christians. Now, we're talking about our influence here, and uh, we may ask ourselves or ponder in our minds, I have impact in this world? I have influence to people around me? Yes, we do. In our lesson today, Jesus tells us exactly what that impact is and what that influence is that we have with the people around us. He tells us that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, I appreciate the table talk. I call that table talk, the Lord's Supper stuff. I appreciate Curtis when he talked to us about the one question that's important. And we're going to ask the same question this morning. Why salt and light? 
What is it about salt and light that Jesus saw it fit to refer uh, to his people as salt and light? What does it look like today to be salt and light? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And we are going to start with salt. I don't know about you, but the first time that I heard that Jesus referred to us as the salt of the earth, I thought, why? Why salt? Why not sugar? Or, I don't know, gold, right? Or diamonds, or precious gems. Because, you know, when, I tell, when you tell me, hey, you're, the, you're, you're like salt, it's like, you don't feel special. But what we're going to do this morning, for us to really understand what being salt of the earth really means, we need to go way back to the time of Jesus to understand what they thought about salt. What salt was like back in the time of Jesus, back in those days. The first thing that I want to tell you is this. Salt back in the day of Jesus was precious. It was precious. It was valuable. It was one of the most useful things that people had during that time. Extremely valuable. In fact, that's a Roman soldier right there. Roman soldiers back then were paid in salt. You're probably going, what? You had these bags of salt here. Here's your monthly wage. Have fun. That's what they did. The Greek word for salt was sal, S-A-L. And that's where we get our word today for salary. Salary, your wage. That's why that expression today still stands. When somebody earned their wages or their salary this month, we say, well, that person is worth his salt. That's why salt was precious. In the ancient times, back then, when two people sat together to agree on something, they did not sign a contract. You know what they did? They ingested salt in front of each other and in front of witnesses. That signaled that what they just agreed upon was legally binding. And this particular salt covenant or covenant of salt was mentioned in, um, in the Old Testament. Let's look at Second Chronicles 13, verse 5. Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of salt? This verse referred to the binding promise that God made to David and his descendants to say that Israel will always be theirs. The kingship will always be theirs. And we know that God stuck to that promise. Because King Jesus is king today, and we see his lineage to David. And the people back then, the Jewish people, the Israelites who were listening to Jesus make that proclamation that the people of his kingdom will be salt and light, or will be salt. They, they, uh, uh, they related to that. Because salt was very important in their Jewish law in their Levitical law. Look at Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Look at this last one. Add salt to all your offerings. Very important. When Jesus said 
uh, in his Sermon on the Mount with all these uh, people, the multitude of people listening to him, that they are, if they are going to be in the kingdom, they will be the salt of the earth. Wow, they related to that. And that's the first point that I want to make. As the salt of the earth, we are precious to God. We are important to God, and we are valuable and useful to God. Let no one say anything different to you. Regardless of what you do in your ministry, right now, as your faith allows, I mean, don't stay there. Keep growing, right? Keep growing. Your ministry is important. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, when the Hebrew writer told us that, for God is not unjust. He will not overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints, as you still do. Remember, point number one, as salt of the earth, we are important. We are essential to the work of God's kingdom on this earth. The second thing and the third thing that I want to talk to you about is really where the rubber meets the road. This is the application where we actually see salt as uh, its effect when it's uh, used on things, when it's applied to things. What do we use salt for? Okay? So this is uh, something that we can really relate to really easily at this time. The second thing that I want to talk to you about is salt is a preservative. It preserves. Okay? We understand that. But today we don't really care that salt preserves. You know why? Because we have refrigerators today. We have fridges where we can put stuff in and we take it out and it's still there. It's still nice and fresh. Back then, in the time of Jesus, one of the reasons why salt was a very useful commodity was its ability to preserve. But nowadays, we don't care until we see this. Do you guys know what that is? It's beef jerky. It's probably not hard... It's probably hard for you to see that. That's pretty much the only reason why that I would remember salt as a good preservative because I love beef jerky, right? Beef jerky. But other than that, no. But salt preserves. Salt kills bacteria or retards the effect of bacteria on meat so that it prolongs its shelf life. The fishermen that were listening to Jesus at the time that he said this pronouncement that people that are going to be in his church, that are going to be in his kingdom, are going to be uh, the salt of the earth, understood, oh yeah, preserve, preservative. You know why? Because when they have their catch of the day, they package their fish right away in salt so that they can prolong the shelf life of the fish. That's what they did. The people of God have that effect on the world. The people of God preserve the world. Do you guys remember the, the time in, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, when Abraham was uh, bargaining with God because God decided to destroy the city of Sodom? Do you guys remember that? God said, you know what? The city of Sodom is so sinful, I'm not to destroy it. But Abraham learned about it, and this is what he told God. In Genesis chapter 18, 23 to 25. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? 
Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the, and, and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham was telling God, this is not like you, God. You don't treat the good people and the bad people the same. What if there's 50 in there? You see the preserving power of the people of God? You know what God said when Abraham said that? God said, okay, if there's 50 people, I'm not going to destroy Sodom. But then as the conversation went, you know, Abraham like kept bargaining. Well, what if there's only 45? God said, okay, 45. What if there's 40? And then 30? And there are 20? And then at the end, Abraham said, well, what if there's 10? 10 godly people, will you, will you still destroy Sodom? You know what God said? No, I won't destroy Sodom if there's 10 people there that are godly. Today, we have the exact same preserving power in the world. When we live out our faith and proclaim Jesus to the world through our actions, through our example, we preserve the world. We hinder the decay of morality in our society. But we need to be the salt. We need to start with our own individual selves as we cultivate our faith and relationship with God. And then and only then we can reach out to the people around us, to our spouses, to our children, to our families, to the church, to the people around us, to our communities. We preserve the truth and the goodness in our community, in our world today. Point number two, we preserve the world as the salt of the earth. Now, point number three is this. Salt seasons. Salt flavors, adds flavor to our food. This is, I think, the one that we can most relate to. Right? I, I, you know how I know? Because listen to this. Okay, think about this in your head. Have you had French fries without salt? Yeah. You know how nowadays you can like make French fries at home? You have like your deep fryer or whatever. I did that once. And I, couldn't, I can't cook, right? But Linda said, you are in charge of taking the thing out of the deep fryer and serving it to people. So I was like, yeah, I can do that. And then Linda's like, Jay, now, okay. He, she even told me when exactly to take it out. So I took it out, put it in the thing, and I served it. And I did not put salt on it. And I tried it, and I'm telling you, I think I lost my appetite. And I would not eat any more until I put salt on it. Salt adds flavor. As the people of God, we need to be flavorful people. We need to enhance the lives of the people that are around us. Whenever there's a Christian in the room, at work, in school, in a family, in a neighborhood, we make the lives of the people better where we find ourselves in. In any context. In any context. We can't be the people who go, well, that person is there and I heard they're a Christian. I'm not going to go. Because that, no. 
that is the total opposite of being the salt of the earth. We need to season this world. Now, the biggest thing that I can think about to relate this to all of us today is to do well in our jobs, in our chosen professions, in our secular work. Many of us here are in uh, healthcare. Many of us are in the trades. Many of us are in administration or service or retail. What have you? Or professional? You're, some, of them are, some of you guys are engineers and things like that. We need to be the best engineers that we can be the best doctors that we can be, or teachers, or students, and whatnot. Because look at this verse, Colossians 3, verse 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to man. This verse was written by the Apostle Paul to slaves in the church. Back in the day, they were slaves. And they had masters that they answered to. And many of them did not do nice things for their masters. They had to do it. But Paul said, don't do it for them. Do it for God. How do we enhance the flavor of our world today? Well, we need to be the best at what we do. Regardless of what role it is we have in this world. Think about it for a few seconds. Resolve today to be the best spouse that you can be for your husband or for your wife. Resolve today to be the best father or mother that you can be for, your, for our children. The best children that we can be for our parents. The best neighbors that we can be for the people who live around us the best at what we do in our professions, the best at what we do as children of God. In this way, can you imagine if each and every one of us did that in Winnipeg? We will definitely win Winnipeg for Christ because they will see, they will taste that the Lord is good through us. Now, we have to be careful here because Jesus gave us a warning. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, you're probably thinking, how can salt lose its saltiness? If salt loses its saltiness, then it's gone. You don't have to be trampled. You can't trample it anymore. You're probably thinking that. Well, again, this is lost in our culture today. Because today we go to our pantries, we open the doors, and then we have this box, and it's 100% pure sodium chloride. Pure salt at our disposal. These guys didn't have it back then. Back then, they actually had to harvest salt in salt marshes like this. Like that. And it's not only sodium chloride that they had. They had other impurities in there. And what happens in that humid air back there, in that culture, salt easily dissolves. If you don't cover it, if, you, if it's left in the air, if it's left outside in the elements. 
And what is left is this chunk of white stuff that's not salty. You know what they do with it, literally? They make pathways with it. That's why it's no good just to be no good except to be trampled by foot. Because when you put that and you put it on a path, no grass or no vegetation would grow. It would kill it. But that to say, when we do not exercise our saltiness, our value in the work in the kingdom diminishes. We don't want that. We do not want that. We want to be flavorful people who preserve the truth and the goodness in this world by showing people our actions because we are precious and useful and valuable in the sight of God. That is what it's like to be the salt of the earth today. Now, Jesus is not done. He says, we are also the light of the world. Light of the world. Now, now, the question that I want to ask is, I, I get as well from Curtis, because Curtis said, why? Why did Jesus say that we are light? You know what? This world, in the history of this world, we have had a lot of things that we learned. Our knowledge has doubled, has increased exponentially since the dawn of time. We learn so quickly in this day and age. Before, we wouldn't even know what our prime minister wore for his visit in India. But now, he goes there, and on the same day, we know exactly what he wore. Back then, you wouldn't. You would probably find out several decades later when a biography came out about that person. Oh, they wore this when they went to India. Actually, there was a book that was, uh, th that was written, and they, they, uh, this, the author claimed that before 1900s, information or knowledge or learning doubled every century before 1900. But after World War II, in the mid-1900s, information or learning or knowledge doubled every 25 years. But people are saying today, there was actually a paper that was released by IBM saying that in the early 2000s, information or knowledge doubled every 13 months. But nowadays, because of the internet, because of technologies, advances in technology, you know how, how the rate at which things double now? Every 12 hours. Because we even know what our neighbors ate last night. Because they put it on Facebook. Before you wouldn't know that. You even know what they did for, uh, for their holiday. You didn't even know that they, ha they got stuck like in traffic. The, you wouldn't know that before. But now we do. But with all this information, with all the inventions and the technology and the knowledge and the learning that the world has, why did Jesus tell us that we are lights? One simple answer. Because with all this stuff still, the world is cloaked in darkness. It is dark in the world. People do not know God in the world. People do not know how to live their lives. They do not know that God created them to be His people. To be salt and light. To be useful in His kingdom. 
The world does not know that. And it is up to us to tell them. I just have two short things that I want to talk to you about when it comes to light. And the first thing is this, that as the, the light of the world, we need to be visible. We need to be seen. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14 to 15, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its, own, on, on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. This is the light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Put it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. We cannot cover our lights. We can't cover our lights. I'm going to ask a question to you. You can answer it in your mind. I don't want you, when I ask this question, I don't want you to feel upset or sad or rebellious or angry. But I want you to be challenged. If the answer in your mind is negative, I want you to be challenged enough to come up and say, no, I will change this for the good. Now here's the question. Do people know in your social circles that you're a Christian? Do people know at work in school, with the friends that you play games with, that you were a Christian? Do we put a bushel, a cover on our lights? Are we the type of people who say, Jesus is somebody that I can put in my pocket or take out when it's convenient or put it in my pocket when it's not convenient? That's the challenge that I have for you this morning when it comes to being visible. Switch the narrative to a positive narrative. Let people know that we are Christians in a positive, in a positive way, in a way that's really going to point them to Jesus because it's dark out there. That is our, our task as Christians. In Philippians 2, 14-15, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. This world has a lot of things that are crooked and perverse. And it's interesting that the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church in Philippi here, he said, for us to be visible, because this is the first thing pretty much people are going to see. When we complain and argue and dispute, they will see that. We need to become blameless and innocent people of God. And when we do that, we do this. You are chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Say, for example, Amir's not here, for example, and I'm talking to you about Amir. And Amir found out that I was talking to, uh, to you about him. And Amir asked, what was Jay talking to you about me for? What was that all about? And then Christian said, oh, Jay was singing your praises. 
What does that mean? It means that I'm talking to you about what the good things that Amir does or what everything good about Amir. This is what we do as the light of the world. It's to tell people about everything good that Jesus has done for us. But when we do this to our lights, we're not doing it. We're covering our lights. And that's the second point that I want to make in terms of this being light of the world. Is we need to radiate. We need to radiate because you cannot hide a city that's on a hill. You see that? That's in Greece. You can't hide that. You can just admire that in Santorini. Now we need to radiate. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 verse 16 that in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When people see, immediately this happens. They see us and their eyes point up to God. Because He is the one true light. When we radiate, it's not our own light that we radiate. It's the one true light of Jesus that we radiate. We see that in John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We have the light of life because we have Jesus. We just need to show it to people through our decisions, through our actions, through our lives. That is the message of hope that we have today. Let us be salt and light Christians. We are precious. We preserve. We flavor our neighborhoods and our, in, our, in, our, in our communities. And we are visible and we radiate. Now Jesus tells us, notice here, that in, in our text, Jesus does not command us or order us to be salt and light. He doesn't encourage us to be salt and light. You know what he does? He just plainly states that we are salt and light. We are. Now some of us may look at that with trepidation. We could go, oh, I don't know if I'm doing it right, Jay. I don't know if I'm doing it right, Lord. My brothers and sisters do salt and light better than I do. It doesn't have to be that way. We are our own salt and light where we are in our context. But we don't stay there. Remember, we always keep going. We can't go, well, I'm not fixing it because it's not broken. You're not changing it because it's broken. You're changing it because you want to be better. Right? That's the idea. And to really zone in on that idea, a few more seconds of your time, think about it. What's your favorite light fixture in your house? You probably go, you know, I, I saw some smiles. Oh, I know exactly why. The chandelier. Or like the front porch light. Or the pot lights. If you have like a million pot lights in your house, you probably like them because it makes the place look bright. You know? There's so many light fixtures at our home. But I'll tell you my favorite. My favorite light fixture at home, I see every single night. It's those little tiny lights. We call them night lights. Because they prevent me from tripping over the toys when I need to go to the washroom early at night. Those little things are the things that I value the most when it comes to lights in my house. 
It doesn't matter if you're a big light or if you're a small light. You are light. This morning, let us be encouraged by being salt and light. Let's continue the good work. And if you would like to get out of darkness into the light, today you have that opportunity. Please come forward as we sing the song of invitation.